0: This morning's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians chapter seven. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion Yet those who marry will have many worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraints upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks.
1: Thank you, thank you, Ivy. Good morning. Welcome to Roswell Community Church. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is great to see you all here. I know some of you are joining us uh, in anticipation of the uh, 1 p.m. memorial service and celebration service for Daniel Ricketts. So if that's why you're here, we're glad you're here with us. If you're part of Roswell Community Church, we love that you're here. If you're joining us online, um, we love you. We're glad you're getting to be a part of the worship we have together today. Well, we are, as a church, uh, in a a six-year vision journey. We're kind of in the middle of it, uh, of a process of allowing God, becoming the kind of people who are being formed in Christ, where the life of Jesus is being formed and forged into who we are, and, and then from that, becoming the kind of people who are manifesting that life everywhere we go. And so on this third year in particular, we're focusing on the reality of becoming the kind of people who follow their calling in community, who live out the reality that God has called us to a very particular, specific way of living out his life in us everywhere we go. And so we spent our first series of the year focusing on that, right? Kind of focusing intentionally and purposefully on, on the particularity, the specific ways in which God has shaped you. How has, he, how has he used your past to kind of structure the reality of your, of your soul? How has he gifted you particularly How has he prepared you uniquely? And so we spent some time focused there, kind of thinking intentionally and purposefully about that and how that plays itself out in the context of, well, every general calling we have of making disciples, of of serving one another, of of serving the world, of of being the kind of people who live in community and and love our church and glorify God. So today we're going to start a a new series that's going to take us up into Christmas. um, where We're going to be titled it Roll Call. And it takes the idea that the calling stuff we've been talking about for, well, about 10 weeks now, and takes it into the few particulars, the particular relational roles that we inhabit, the the relational roles in which we live out this particular calling. Of course, we do that in very unique ways. We do that as, as children, as parents, as spouses. And today in particular, we're going to focus on what it means to live out the calling, live out our calling within the role of singleness. Singleness. So as I kick off, let me just give a couple caveats. First of all, if you're single here, there's a variety of different kind of realities if you're single, right? Some of you are single again, right? You're widowed or, or, or you're, you're finding yourself single after divorce. Some of you are, are single because you're choosing to be, you sense a sense of calling of God to, to remain single, you're choosing to remain single. Others of you haven't married yet, but you would like to marry, and others of you can't marry because of either same-sex attraction or, or unbiblical divorce dynamics and all the complications that, that come with that. And so there's, there's by default a whole different kinds of people sitting in this room. So that's just the first caveat, that all the things we're gonna talk about are gonna apply in different nuances to different people, particularly those of you that are single. The second one is that I'm married. I've been married since I was 17. I've been married almost 30 years now. And so I can appreciate the reality that if you're sitting there and you're single, you're like, so what do you know? And so I wanna say, first of all, with a degree of humility of like, I actually don't know. I don't know what it's like to live a single life. I genuinely don't. And that's the great news about the scriptures is that we're gonna to get to lean in not only on the word of God, which tells us how, we're kind of, how do we navigate this reality? And secondly, I've as best I could, spend a bunch of time reading, spending time with people like Ivy who were able to help me frame and understand some of the reality so that by the grace of God, I'll be able to administer the grace of the gospel to your hearts where you are in the midst of what you are. And with that, if you're married here today and you're like, oh, it's on singleness, (sighs) that doesn't apply to me, wrong. It's not true. The reality is many of us will find ourselves single again, whether through widowhood at some point if we're married or potentially through divorce, you don't know what tomorrow brings. And the plan of, like, how do I prepare to be single when I become single is not the way in which God seeks to sanctify and train his people. I have a great quote for each of us who are married. We'll go through it in a minute. But one of the particular things that I've been able to glean from is, is a book that I would recommend to you if you're single. It's called Seven Myths um, About Singleness. And I would highly recommend it if you're married. Because if you're single, you actually know a bunch of this stuff in here, especially if you've been following Jesus for a long time. You know a lot of this reality. I think it'll be like like ointment on your soul. But if you're not, if it's been a minute since you've been single, if you're in a community group with people that are single, this would be an unbelievable gift of grace, not only to your own self because Sam Aubrey is an amazing author. He's an incredible man and he's single and he's incredible. So just by default, he's gonna be, you're gonna be sanctified by it. But secondly, it's a way in which you can enter the reality that otherwise might be blind to you in most of the way in which we relate. And then lastly, my last caveat is that let's just be honest as a church and I as your pastor and, and us, some of us as as leaders haven't always been thoughtful of those of you that are single either by omission we've failed to honor your gift to the body and something about spending a bunch of time thinking and reading and listening has kind of opened my eyes to the reality of yeah we haven't always done that well we sought to try to use illustrations and sermons that involve every kind of communal life every kind of relational life but sometimes we fail there's a lot of families here a lot of little kids it's just normal for us to kind of go to while well, there's most of y'all right And I know that that's wounded some of y'all. And for some of the ways in which you've been wounded, you've been hurt, you felt missed. Like, I just wanna apologize. I wanna ask for your forgiveness. We wanna love well everyone. And most importantly, we want you to know that you are fundamentally, essentially, and significantly a part of this community. Not like a separate part, not like a, a, at the midst of, in the center of, and necessary for. And so, with those caveats in mind, those pieces in front of us, Let's begin with my good buddy, Tim Keller. Gonna, he, he actually writes a book, a book, The Meaning of Marriage, and in it, he spends 20-something uh, pages in one chapter on singleness in a book on marriage. And this is what he says in it. He says, Single people cannot live their lives well as singles without a balanced, informed view of marriage. If they do not have that, they will either over-desire or under-desire marriage. When I read that, I suddenly realized, wait a minute, I think I would argue the opposite also. I would argue that married people cannot live their lives as married couples and as a community of faith without a balanced, informed view of singleness. If they don't have that, they will either idealize it or belittle or devalue singleness. So let's begin by the reality, the fundamental thing that if you can take anything away from this entire time, I want you to hear, and that is that singleness is a gift. Singleness is a gift. Listen to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 7, verse seven, Paul says, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Jesus was single, the apostle Paul was single, Timothy, Titus, they were all single, and what they would articulate, what they would declare, is that both singleness and marriage are gifts. They're gifts to us, and they're gifts to each other in their role. And so we're going to look at the gift of singleness under three headings. First, that singleness is countercultural, that singleness is powerful and transformational, and that singleness is neither easy nor solitary. So let's start with the first singleness, biblical singleness is countercultural in the West, in the American Western context, secular context, and in the church. So let's talk about just the secular American context. If you're in the Western world, which you are, if you're breathing this air, drinking this water, cultural water, you kind of get a sense of, okay, so if you're in your 20s, You're kind of focused on career development, kind of figuring you out. You're, you know, maybe dating some people, but there's not a lot of pressure, and actually people are getting married later and later in life at this juncture. So so that's kind of lessened, And, and really it's a time where, let's call things what they are, this is your walkabout time, right? This is your time to sow your wild oats, to kind of figure you out, try some people on maybe, but don't get tied down. Now you hit your 30s, and there's the expectation of some kind of ongoing serious relationship, and at some point, maybe marriage and that—buying a home, kind of settling, beginning to plan on settling down. By the time you get your 40s, you should be in a long-term relationship or you should be married. That's that's kind of the expectation. And, of course, the Western culture in the late 19th century shifted from the idea of, of marriage as something that was fundamentally a traditional model around, hey, this is a part of the cultural, this is how things are actually held together, the stability of culture, which was more of an East and West dynamic, to more of a marrying for love as the cultural norm. But the challenge where, where, where it's countercultural, where the, where the singleness reality in biblical sense is countercultural to the, to the world context is, of course, around the sexual ethic. You see, the biblical sexual ethic of singleness is a call to abstinence, which just sounds like a record scratch, right? One of our favorite movies is um, While You Were Sleeping and in one scene, she's, she's talking to her friend and she says, hey, so you guys are sleeping together? And she says, she says, no, we're not, we're waiting. And her friend says, waiting? Like that's the most foreign concept in the world. The idea of a, of a biblical sexual ethic is unthinkable because more than ever, the sexual expression is absolute, right? It is paramount. Denying yourself a sexual experience or fulfillment is considered harmful at this point. You're harming yourself. You're denying what it means for you to be you because we've now as a culture woven our sexual identity into our fundamental identity as human beings. And if you can't express yourself sexually, then you can't be fully human and you must be true to you. And so the biblical sexual ethic of singleness is a call to abstinence and, of course, a call to purity, which is interesting. Married people always think, uh, that's right, so single people need to be not only abstinent, but they need to be pure. It's like, by the way, married people need to be pure. Like, that's not a, like a singleness thing. Everybody, if you're married, you should be pure, holy. Yeah, set apart. There's no other way around the reality of the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the Apostle Paul in the Old and New Testament. I don't think anybody does a better job than... Sam Albury and kind of articulating and clarifying the reality of what this looks like for us. He says, quote, we we need to remember that Jesus made himself a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom. And Jesus willingly became fully human for us. He willingly became a male. He was a sexual human being as we all are, but he lived a celibate lifestyle. He never married. He never even entered a romantic relationship. He never had sex. Jesus was, has not calling others to a standard. He was not willing to embrace himself. He wasn't calling singles to sexual abstinence while knowing nothing of it himself. He lived this very teaching, which is typically where things stop. That's usually where we're like, right, so Jesus did it. So like, good luck, guys. But listen, but... There's more than even that. Jesus is not just an example of a non-hypocritical teacher. He is the example of the perfect man. He is the humanity all of us are called to be, but which none of us are. He is, listen, the most complete and fully human person who ever lived. So his not being married is not incidental. It shows us that none of these things, marriage, romantic fulfillment, sexual experience, is intrinsic to being a full human being. The moment we say otherwise, the moment we claim a life of celibacy to be dehumanizing, we are implying that Jesus himself is only subhuman. Biblical singleness is a counterculture to the world And it's a counterculture to a secular context, but it's a counterculture within Christian context. Listen again to Tim and the meaning of marriage. He says, "While, while traditional societies tend to make an idol of marriage, that would be like church context, right? We make an idol of marriage. Contemporary societies tend to make an idol out of independence. That would be the other way. While the traditional motive for marriage has been social duty, stability, and status, like we talked about a minute ago, the contemporary narrative of marriage is personal fulfillment. You must be fulfilled entirely in your marriage. That's that's what it's about. That's what it's for. That's what it promises. That's what it better deliver or else. And so it's not only a countercultural to the world, but it's a counterculture to the church Listen in verse eight, Paul says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that, what does it say? It is good for them to remain single as I am. One of the probably most significant takeaways in this last couple weeks of study for me has been the realization that the natural narrative, the normativeness within Christian context is be married get married you're not married maybe there's somebody that we can find for you it's 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 singleness is like something that is a problem to be fixed and I just need to say that's not what the Bible says that's not what God says about singleness at all we think marriage marriage then families families babies babies populate the kingdom that's actually a very common way of thinking in certain evangelical circles. Like we're gonna populate the kingdom by having babies that are gonna follow Jesus, which let's just be honest, not all babies follow Jesus, right? And that's not the narrative of the kingdom. The narrative of kingdom is not to populate the, to populate the world through people having babies, it's by having people who are, no longer, who are not Christians awaken to the reality of a kingdom in him. Tommy Givens, who's a Fuller professor and just a great dude overall, says in 1 Corinthians 7, the passage we're just looking at, teaches us that to be single is sometimes better than being married. This idea is antithetical to our American culture today that is, I love this, drunk on Disney. I know some of you are Disney lovers, but come on now. The church, listen, The church grows how? By conversion, not reproduction. Because a new community has developed in Christ. Single people can be mothers and fathers as they bear testimony to the resurrection. How would the homosexuality debate be different if we lived under the assumption that singleness is preferred, that you don't have to have sex to be complete, Or grown-up. One of the things that um, single friends of mine now have said that will emerge in conversations are like hey so you're single it's been a minute so are you do you think you have the gift of singleness and by that they mean like do you have the superpower of singleness right that's that's what's meant and that only happens in the church right that's like total church stuff. There's a sense of like, hey, are you able to, by some miraculous provision of the Lord to be able to endure the impossible yoke of being single? I, I've, I've heard it, I've heard it here. We asked, do you think you have the gift of singleness? Which is only okay if we're gonna say, well, do you think you have the gift of being married? Do you? Did you have the gift of being married? Do I have the gift of being married? No, I have the role of being married. I have responsibilities that come with that. Singleness is not a superpower. Choosing singleness or being single is not failing to get married. That is not a biblical view of singleness. And I suspect it's deeper embedded in there than we might think. We've made, in Christian circles, marriage the goal, the only acceptable norm. And we've got our own version of being absorbed in romanticism and the social stability that comes from that. Family being the bedrock of of society, which it is, not saying it's not. I think one of the things that, and I've heard now this is this, when we were talking about the role of women in the church in particular a couple years ago, this came up a bunch, is that particularly the single women in Christian context often feel like there's some kind of a threat to the men. They're seen like that. And so there's this like three steps back, let me make sure that I'm wildly clear I'm not after your man. Or dude, I'm not after you. Loved ones, marriage is not the goal of the christian life it's not a holy sanctified set apart committed life given to christ into his kingdom that's the goal that's what we've been rescued and saved for that's what we've been rescued unto sent unto by the way, between Paul and, and Jesus, what we see as they talk about singleness is, is not that singleness is hard, and so would it do whatever you can to get married. What they are to actually articulate, rather, is that marriage is hard, and celibacy is commended, encouraged. You see this even with Jesus. Jesus is talking to his disciples in in, in Matthew chapter 19, and and they're talking about divorce and remarriage, and and his disciples, which I love, they just kind of say it how it is. I imagine Peter saying this, because this is how he rolls. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. That's the conclusion. And Jesus says, no, 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 you misunderstood. See, the center of the kingdom is marriage. Nope, that's not what he says. What does he say? He says, but he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. And then he goes on to talk about the eunuchs, and it's a really complicated passage, which we can't unwrap today. But if you're not married in your 30s, if you're not married in your 40s, if, if you're not married in your 50s, or if you're not married in your 60s, there's not something wrong with your celibacy. There's not something wrong with your singleness. There's not something wrong with you. If Paul were here, that's what he would tell you unless we're wanting to look at Jesus and wanting to look at the Apostle Paul and say there's something wrong with them. And and that must begin to reshape the way in which we, particularly those of us who are married, interact, value, celebrate, invite, and connect with the brothers and sisters who are single in our midst. It must Someone sent me this quote, and we didn't know who it was from. I looked it up. I couldn't find it. But it's a great quote. So unknown author says, in our culture, however, maybe even particularly in evangelical subculture, remaining single is often equal to being alone and lonely. In addition, in a highly sexually charged society such as ours, singleness is even more challenging. One of the major problems for the church is that it has lost... The ability to proclaim single people, fully sexual, faithful beings who also find their role in the church and would not be, and would not, and I'm sorry, and world, not as second class citizens, but as full members of the body. And I just want to say this morning, if you're a single man or woman, like RCC, like you're not a second class citizen here. Like you're fully member. You are essential. You're powerful. You're beautiful and significant and needed, period. So singleness is countercultural, outside and inside the church. Secondly, singleness is powerful and transformational. There's something about singleness that I think, again, it's, you know, don't talk about it a ton. This is the first sermon I've ever preached on singleness, and I was a young adults pastor for a while. So I don't know, go figure that. I would amend many of the things I did twenty years ago, so you know <laughs> you you don't though you're good you're nothing you're still holding to everything, but singleness offers certain freedoms again there's there's a sense in the apostle paul that 's like hey it's 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 actually not just equal it's not just neutral there's a sense of it's it's preferable in certain ways first is paul tells us there's a freedom in singleness from the pains of loss and suffering and difficulties in marriage what he calls worldly troubles in verse 28 he says verse 28 if but if you do marry you have not sinned okay so there's nothing wrong with being married and if your betrothed woman marries she has not sinned okay so marriage good no sin marriage is good yet those who marry will have worldly troubles and i would spare you that worldly troubles now whether you're single or you're married it doesn't take long to be with your married friends or to be married or to be married with your married friends to realize yeah there's troubles being married brings troubles and sometimes they're the ordinary kind of ongoing kind of the grinding and other times they're real tangible difficulties Like in sickness and in health sometimes means in sickness. And sometimes not just for a weekend, but for years. We know people that have been caring for their spouse for decades now in wheelchairs, having to clean them up and they're in their fifties. That's not what they signed up for. I would spare you those difficulties. The pain of children, children running away from the Lord, children running away, period. Rejection, fear. The sense of disconnection, of disappointment in the reality of what marriage isn't. And it isn't, right? It isn't everything. It can't be. The loss from infidelity, of divorce, financial strains, of misaligned values. All those worldly troubles that pull at the fabric of your soul. And if you're single and you've seen some of your married friends, you know what that looks like. So there's the freedom from the sorrows and sufferings and difficulties, the worldly troubles. And then there's freedom from the obligation, Paul says, from the complexity. Listen again to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32, 35. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. Now, Paul's not just like a therapist being like, I just want you to not be scared about things and not be worried. No, that's not what he's doing. He's like, listen, there's a kingdom at hand. We're on the move towards something grand and significant. And so I want you to be free of anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord how to be holy in body and spirit but the but the married woman is anxious about worldly things how to please her husband I say this for your own benefit not to lay any restraint upon you but to promote good order and to secure listen your undivided devotion to the Lord Now there's a lot in that passage Let's just be clear about a couple of things Paul isn't saying. Paul isn't saying, he's not implying that singleness is spiritual and, and that, that married life is unspiritual. That's not what he's saying. It's not saying that being single is a piece of cake and being married is really, really hard. Married is really, really hard, but he's not saying that being single is a piece of cake. What Paul's contrasting here is, is the complexity of marriage and the relative simplicity of singleness. Now, again, I mentioned, there's a lot of different kinds of single, right? So some of you are like, my life is really, really complicated. Some of you are single moms or single dads, and, like, your life is complicated in a way that someone who's single without children doesn't experience that. Some of you are in the midst of loss and still grieving over the loss as widows and, or, or divorcees, and, like, your life's not simple or complicated life feels very very complicated but but overall what Paul's saying here what he's trying to imply is that the life of a married person is just more complicated and singleness is more straightforward husbands and wives have responsibilities to each other and if they have children to their children physically emotionally relationally and it's right it's fitting it belongs Paul's not saying like oh well you know if y'all married and people with kids just got your act together, you'd be devoted to the Lord also. No, he's saying, no, it just goes with the territory. There's complexity. Paul isn't saying that married people have weighty concerns and single people don't. He's just saying that the concerns are different. What's, What's powerful about what Paul's declaring here in this passage, that singleness is connected to impact, is connected to the way in which a person is powerfully effective and ongoingly impactful within a community of faith and beyond. There's a unique scope and a unique breadth to what is possible with someone who is unmarried that is not as possible for someone who is. And that's a blessing, it's actually a gift an additional bonus, a special offering to the community of faith from their heart. And to be clear, this comes with challenges as well. There's a check here, right? There, there's a warning implicit in this that, that if you're single, that you're, you're free to, not free from. So the question I think that emerges out of this passage, if you're single, if you find yourself single, is are you anxious about the things of God? That, that's what Paul would ask. He'd say, are you anxious about the things of God? Now, like only Sam can say, he points out in particular, this is what he says in this quote. He says, this idea of being anxious about the things of God, is says, this is a battle for many of us. It is easy to channel our flexibility and energies into merely pleasing ourselves rather than God. A significant temptation for many singles, especially if we live on our own, is to become self-centered. He says, I can easily become anxious about the things of me. It is easy to do what I want, how I want, when I want. We need to remind ourselves daily that our singleness is not for us but for the Lord. It's no different than the spiritual gift stuff we were talking about a couple weeks ago. It's for others. It's to be given away for our satisfaction, our joy. And so are you investing your freedom? Maybe some of the simplicities or lack of complexity in the things that please the Lord on what he loves, on on what grieves him? Are you being particularly intentional about understanding and knowing the unique way in which he shaped, called you, and made you so that when you move out into the world, you do so with purpose? Because Paul says, this is exactly what's possible for you. And singleness is also transformational. One of the... uh, We'll talk about this when we talk about marriage. One of the things about marriage is that it has a way of sanctifying us, has a tangible way of helping us become more like Jesus just by its very nature. And some of the realities of what unfolds for someone who's single is also a particular kind of sanctification. What someone told me is it's direct dependence. And I've experienced that from, from those of you that, that, especially those of you that, be, that have been widowed, those of you who have been divorced, who had for a degree, for a season of time, a sense of like, yeah, I can count on, this is a given, this is a sure thing, and, and then it's gone. Unexpectedly, or even over time. And, and there's a sense of the dependence, the interdependence that was just kind of easy or, or natural suddenly is gone. And there's an immediate sense of if the Lord doesn't come through, I'm sunk. And so there's a new and refreshed invitation in trusting the promises of God that is transformational. That when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, it means something different. It means something also. It means something more. There's a way in which if you're single, you're formed by seeing and looking primarily to Jesus as the one who's going to satisfy and take care of you. You need to know that he has you. Because someone I was talking to this past week just said, you know, when when my mom passes away, I don't know that I'll be anyone's first thought. I don't have a spouse. I don't know that anyone's going to think of me first or is going to choose to sacrifice on my behalf. who will be thinking of me first? And the invitation of the gospel is that God always will. And to work that out practically, tangibly into your heart by faith, which is what it requires, forms you into someone substantial, a different kind of substance, a different kind of strength, a different kind of offering to the community, powerful faith. Again, for meaning of marriage. Tim says, the Christian gospel and hope for the future kingdom de-idolizes marriage. Christians who remained single then were making the statement, and they were doing so by faith, right? That, that our future is not guaranteed by the family, but by God. My hope is built on nothing less. Not an idea, but an actuality that's confronted in a way that those of us who are married don't experience as strongly. So there's power and there's transformation that's available and and, and actually is manifest in the reality of single men and women within the community of faith who are empowered by Jesus. But singleness, lastly, is not easy, nor is it solitary. Sam in his book, kind of a different points, talks about the reality that both marriage and singleness will have their own particular high points and their own particular low points. And the temptation or the risk for anyone who's single is to to take a marriage high point and compare it to a singleness low point, which by the way, the inverse is true too, right? The risk of anyone who's in a marital relationship is to compare the the low point of your marriage with a high point of singleness. Man, if I didn't have to ask her about this, if I didn't have to ask him how much we were gonna spend on this, if I could just do my own thing, if I didn't want to travel or have just a degree of freedom, like compromise, we have to talk about this for how long until we decide? We don't compare the highs and the lows. That's dangerous. But the reality is, is that though, though singleness is not a death blow, though singleness is possible for the fullness of life, as we pointed out in Jesus Christ, it's not easy. But there are realities to those of us who are single in the room that many who are married just forgot about, don't think about, don't know. And for those of us who, those who have who've lost, there, there's an ongoing wounding of what isn't anymore. Through divorce or through, through death. For many, there's the pains of unmet hopes and, and longings and desires that haven't come to be for us. And then there's the thousand moments of having to arrive somewhere alone. Some of some of you sitting right here, drove here alone, walked in alone, had to brace yourself, prepare yourself, throw yourself into the context because it's hard, because you don't have someone that you're automatically connected to that you can at any moment be like, hey, you're with me, and then you drive home alone, and you don't you don't have anybody to debrief how it went or how someone treated you or what that person said. And the cumulative reality of all those moments when everyone else seems to be so connected and have their person. It's not easy. But I want to remind you that in whatever state you're finding yourself in right now, in this, that that God didn't get it wrong with you. He didn't make a mistake with the reality of where you find yourself. And he is both good today and sovereign today. And that's the truth about who he is. One author says, he says, none of us are missing out. All of us are getting something of the goodness of God. This doesn't deny the challenges, of course, of singleness or of marriage for that matter. There's simply just a reminder that even in the midst of our challenges, there is a taste of something of God that is being offered to us. And I wanna remind you, if this is a particularly hard season, Sam, Sam in his book talks about a time, times where was like once a year just being on the floor in his kitchen just weeping over the difficulty of what it means to be single in this world. But singleness doesn't mean you don't have intimacy. And this is where I think the Christian community has not only a unique opportunity but a unique calling to be able to live out something that is otherwise foreign Singleness doesn't mean you don't have intimacy. Again, because we're not, even though in the church we struggle with this too, because we're not connecting intimacy to sex, right? You can have sex and have no intimacy. You can have intimacy and not have sex. So those are not universally connected in any way. There could be intimate closeness within the context of a Christian community. It's what, Many you just call spiritual friendship. Spiritual friendship, if you're single, is the place where intimacy is going to live, which means it's the place that you're going to have to lean into, fight for, be wounded in, and then go back at it again. It is the place. It's the context that God offers. Sam, once again, says, by its very nature, and listen to this vision, by its very nature, friendship is a wonderful form of intimacy. The friend is the person who knows you at your sparkling best and shameful worst and yet still loves you. To be so deeply known and so deeply loved is precious. That is what we all need. Proverbs commands friendship, not because it is a nice bonus in life because It is key to living wisely in God's world. Which means married or single, spiritual friendship is not an option for living wisely in God's world. And one of the things that's beautiful about the kingdom of God is that we get to do it with each other, to and towards one another. And so... If you're single, be great at it. Honestly, show the married people how it can be done. Grow in your ability to be a spiritual friend, to to elicit, to train other people on how they become spiritual friends for the purpose of helping those that aren't aren't able, don't wanna do the work for it, to lean into that which is essential. Christian community offers not only friendship, but it offers family. We all know this, right? Theologically, we were not only bought and purchased into Christ as as just a theological idea, but we were brought into a new family. We all have a biological family, whatever it looks like, wherever its current state is at, we all have a biological family, but now we've been given a spiritual family. And some of what it means within a Christian community is the mixing, the, the, the molding, the pulling together of of the spiritual family and the biological family. And the invitation of the one into the other. And I think one of the ways in which we could really grow us as a community, right? So us people here in the room, those of you watching online, is what does it look like for our families to become porous? Not to be boundaryless, but not, but not to also be impermeable. To be, to be thinking, to be looking, to be inviting people who otherwise aren't with family. Because here's the thing, and, and this, one of the beautiful things that, I didn't ask permission, I probably should have, but one of the things that uh, happened after John uh, lost Amy in 2018 is that Morgan and Libby Chalk invited him to Taco Tuesdays. And if you want to know where John is going to be on Tuesday nights, if you want to know where the Chalks are going to be on Tuesday night, they're going to be at Taco Tuesdays. And now it's not John Zimmerman, friend of the Chalks, it's Uncle John who takes the boys fishing. It's John who has the birthday parties at their house because that's just a given. And, man, I, that wasn't the story John intended, right? He thought Mary, Amy was going to be around, but, but she's not anymore. And so he's been brought in and he's getting to experience family and little boys who run around and punch him when they walk by. And <laughs> and he belongs. Rosario well, Bedefield talks about hospitality as being like the gospel is... Um, is like love with the keys attached, like house keys attached. I can't remember the quote. I actually had it anyway. Um, what? What? Gospel comes with a house key. Well done. Um, and I think that's what it looks like. I mean, not specifically exactly a house key, but it's the invitation in to to, to belong to make room for, not to create a special thing, but to actually invite into the context of family for those who aren't living in family. And that's not just because, oh, pity someone who's single. No. Yes, it is good for you if you're single to be a part of family, to be brought in, to be part of that porous thing where like we're not pretending, we're not hosting you. You're just here when we're fighting and when the kids are ugly and, you know, when they hit each other. You're part of that. But also, it's good for the family do you know that, I mean, let's just speculate, but I'm assuming every once in a while it's possible that Liam Chalk might get upset with his parents at some point. They are very good parents, but let's just imagine that he has an opportunity to be on a fishing boat with John five years from now. And he gets to talk about some of the things that he's upset about, they're struggling with it, he's afraid about it. Well, John's in their family, he gets to be another voice. He gets to be another player He gets to talk about what's going on in a very tangible, specific, loving way because he's inside. Because he's invited not just to spiritual friendship but also to family life. And some of you are exceptionally good at this. And, And confession, I'm not. I'm way too, like, impermeable. I operate with way too much scarcity and I think some of us feel like we're so busy, we have so much going on that to add a thing, that's just too much. I think we're missing out on a gift from the Lord. So there's Some of you that are, that, are, that are moms and you're like mommed up to here and the only people you can talk to are other moms who are like mommed up to here, you know? And like, I just want to say like one of the gifts you could have about being with your single friends who don't have mom up to here is that they might invite you to a bigger world, you know? Like there's other things going on and it's not because you're not genuinely struggling but it's actually getting out of that and being able to see maybe what God's doing and, and be reminded a little bit that there's life outside of that. And do you see See how we need each other? We have to be family to one another spiritually, not just biologically. So if you're single, one of the things I want to invite you to is to take risks. To have <laughs> I and I were talking about this, to invite yourself over. I know, it's like, and we're not even allowed to show up without calling at least five hours in advance, but to actually just be like, hey, I got nowhere to be on this thing, or hey, what are you guys up to? Can I come over? Can I make you a meal, right? Can I come cook in your kitchen? But you know, I just spent 14 months, like, homeless, basically, living with my parents. That are not the same thing. <laughs> I recognize that does not sound the same way. Okay, we were not homeless. We were living with my parents, and that's not homelessness, but... Um, but we found ourselves going to multiple people's houses. You know, a bunch of you here, we came and lived, you know, you cooked for us. And, and, we, and it was like, it was wonderful, but it was all that moment of like, yeah, we can't reciprocate. We don't have a spot. We don't have a space. And what would it look like to allow yourself to be invited in? And also to, to say, hey, come and see my place. There's so much to say here. I just want to, let me close with a couple of things. One, the Bible is really positive about marriage, and the Bible is really, really positive about singleness. It's pivotal that we know that, pivotal that we hold on to that. Honor Ballo says, Singleness is not better than marriage, and marriage is not better than singleness. Both are states to which God may call us, although singleness is the only one of the two that everyone is called to for at least some period of time and I guess you could say that everyone is called to singleness twice because of course no one will be married in heaven the temporary state is marriage you see ultimately all married people will be single as you just said and all single people will be married and the beauty and the grandeur of the new heavens and, new, and the new earth, all will be the bride of Christ. We will all belong to him. None will be married or given in marriage to each other. And we will know perfect joy. Perfect joy. Sam says in conclusion, he says the key to contentment as a single person is not trying to make singleness into something that will satisfy us. Listen, it is to find contentment in Christ as a single person. And the key to contentment as a married person is not trying to build a marriage that makes us content. It is to find contentment in Christ as a married person. This is liberating. Your singleness is a gift. Your singleness is hard. Your singleness is is a blessing. Your singleness is the sanctifying means of God. And it is the key role, one of the key dynamics that God is going to use to shape the way in which your calling will manifest itself in the world. Now we come to this table, this communion table. And it reminds us of something very simple and straightforward, that Jesus came and he died to make us sons and daughters. That Jesus came and he died to make us friends, he says. I don't wanna call you servants, I call you friends. That Jesus came and died to make us his bride forever. And so as we come to this table this morning, either as a single man, a single woman, a married man, a married woman. You come to be reminded of the unshakable grace of the irrevocable belonging and of the unbreakable covenant that God has made with you in Jesus Christ. That's what these elements remind us of. And that is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of singleness. Thank you that you not only give it, but then as always, you use it. You don't waste anything. You offer, you offer yourself in the midst of the power and the challenge. And Lord, we just wanna ask right now that we would be the kind of community of faith that would be a part, that would, that would stand as something that looks different from either the world or from a broken broken church model, that we would, um, that we would delight in being brothers and sisters, spiritual friends who, who lean into and move each other towards the grace of God. That the, that, the, that the church of Christ would be raised up, that the, that the message of Christ would be appealing and, and, and um, earth-shattering and surprising because of how we live it out together. And so, Lord, would you make us spiritual families because of the grace in which you've shown us on the cross? We pray these. And so as we receive these elements, Lord, would you make it more true in us? Would you draw us to yourselves by your goodness? We pray this in Christ. Amen. If you belong to Jesus, if you are covenanted to Christ, this is your meal. So come forward and receive the grace of the body and blood of Jesus for you.